All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Mike and Steve talking shop. <laughs> and uh, we're early here in 2021. Steve Parisi from IBC Global. Good to see you today, buddy. How you feeling? Great. Mike Courtney from Mass Mutual Eastern PA. Doing well. How about you? Yep. Good, good. <laughs> good. Um, I've been inundated with questions and emails about the recent IRS change, 7702, yeah. <laughs> that's going to affect our, um, our business. Uh, you know, I would imagine in a big way. Um, I'm somewhat surprised at uh, the buzz because really until you see the product changes, yeah. you know, we don't really know what this is going to look like and what the real effect is going to be on our business. I think maybe sometimes people are so kind of desperate for some good news, yeah, <laughs> especially some good product news that um, – you know they're 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 jumping around like crazy. But what, what do you you know just kind of in a nutshell? What do you think about all this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've gotten we're inundated with questions as well, um, both on the agent side for a coaching business, our internals, and then prospects we're working with those that have existing policies. Some thinking, hey, should I wait until this change occurs because there is a lot of buzz around it, and you know the knowledge around it right now, at least that I have, is just from what the IRS has published in um, speculation, really, because to your point, we have to wait until insurance companies come out with their updated products and see exactly how they play it, right? With the reserve requirements, if the guaranteed rates will be adjusted and such. Um, so, I mean, the change, like any change, will have, there's going to be give and take. I mean, the advantage, to start with that, the same amount of death benefit is going to obtain an individual a greater MEC limit than it does today. So to, to provide an example, if you take a 50-year-old male and you have a $1 million death benefit, that gives a 50-year-old male almost a clean $50,000 MEC limit today based off of the MEC laws. So with this new change, what will happen is that same million-dollar death benefit may obtain him, call it seventy to an $80,000 MEC limit. And I'm completely guessing based off of the 60% increase, uh, guesstimating, I should say. Um, but what's going to happen is it gives individuals the ability to pay more money into a policy with the same death benefit with a new change. So the MEC limits go up, which has an advantage but then, again, going back to your point with the insurance company product pricing, if you take different carriers, like, like Mass Mutual, for example, wherever you set your base premium, they have a company rule that allows you to no more than 10x the base premium in PUAs per year. Right. Right. So if I want to pay right. 100 grand, I've got to have a minimum base premium of 10,000. So that's that's the other side of it. So, so even though, by, yeah. you know, if you go by... <laughs> you know, IRS regulations, it sounds like I can get more non-MEC premium dollars into a whole life insurance policy. You still could have carrier to carrier product limitations. That's that's the thing that my gut feeling is they may change, but not a whole lot just from- I think we're going to see some subtle changes. It'll be minimal because insurance companies and different carriers I've talked to have expressed this They've been nervous with the interest rate environment and things just 
remaining low. They're, they're forecasting for the interest rate environment to remain low for at least another 10 years. So if they jack up their PUA limits where they say, hey, you can have a $1,000 base premium and pay hundred grand per year to PUAs, that'd be great. I mean, you can juice the cash value, but that actually brings on some risk for them that not all carriers are- Why is that? Do you understand why that is? I mean, just from a, I know this is probably something I should know, yes. but if I look at it with, um, yeah. you know, maybe unseasoned eyes, all, I, I think PUAs would seem to be less expensive for the insurance company yeah. because they're not paying out the same kind of commission. Co correct. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. Um, one is on the death benefit component. Right. If you dump in $10,000 into a PUA payment, that's going to purchase you another $30,000, call it, in death benefit. Depending on your age, it could be more or less. Now, you can use one-year term riders and such to kind of mask that and keep the, the net liability for the company the same. But long term, when you dump heavy dollar amounts into PUAs, that does create added risk for them. It grows the death benefit. And the thing is, depending on a company's PUA flexibility, let's say you take a policy out today. How old are you, Mike? 46. 46, I thought you were like late 30s. So, <laughs> so excuse me, let's Just say you take, a, <laughs> you take a policy out today and you're funding it at X amount of dollars and then 15 years down the road, when you're now over 60, you say, hey, I've got an inheritance, I wanna dump $500,000 into a PUA payment, We'll assume it can handle it from a MEC limit standpoint. You dump that 500 grand in, right? You're looking at another, what, one to 1.5 million death benefit. Companies from the death- At a different kind of mortality. Correct. Risk. So right. that, that's one thing that they look at. Now, again, you can, you can design a policy. We do this kind of stuff all the time where a 60-year-old can make a catch-up payment down the road juice the cash value. And if you've got that one-year term constructed properly, you can make it look good and the company will accept it. But that's the death benefit side. The other side is, and I think this new law may help companies here, is when you dump funds into PUAs, when you look at the guaranteed cash values on a product, they will look, the more you add in the PUAs, the better the guarantees will look 10 out of 10 times. So a lot of companies, one in particular I recall, because we just had a conversation with them, put limits on PUAs because they'll come out and state, hey, if clients want to have a dollar-based premium and just shove money into PUAs, we feel like they are taking advantage of our general account. And if interest rates continue to go down, we have to honor this guarantee and a dividend. It can end up hurting us a little bit more than helping us. We might have to drop the dividend rate just because it's an unequal balance right now. As far as what they're able to produce in interest versus what they have to honor based off the current guarantees. So there's two sides to it. One, the low interest rate environment, they're worried with just the downward pressure, and then two, the death benefit liability. That's where they can come in and potentially restrict PUAs. Again, I've never seen it happen. I mean, they always say they will, but that's the kind of stuff that you run into. I wonder, you know, these changes are gonna happen, um, you know, kind of staggered carrier to carrier throughout the year. 
it's not going to be like this is all going to be one big change all at once. So it's going to be kind of a slow yeah. um, rollout if you look at the, the whole market. I wonder, what do you think? Does every carrier reduce their guaranteed crediting rate? <laughs> that's that's the good question where I've heard mi- I've heard mixed things the the reserve requirements go down but I mean like I view it from a from a business perspective if I'm able to keep a strong guarantee on a product I definitely would but you've got to protect yourself as a company your financial ratings your policy holders because it's a mutually held company even if it's a stock company you still have to protect the the, uh, the policy holders there so I mean will they go down I mean that's the million dollar question. It looks like yes. Um, but at the same time, some companies have not come out and said that. They said the reserve requirement comes down. That That's beneficial. And when I look at history, guaranteed rates used to be lower than 4%, but they were bumped up to 4% in 1980. So prior to the, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I want to hear the rest of what you were going to say. Go ahead. Yeah, so prior to the, the first revision, when was it, back in 1984, 84 through 88 is when a bunch of changes occurred and laws of the whole MEC, MEC laws and such, um, the reserve requirements. But if you go back to 1980, you'll see dividend history among carriers and the guaranteed rate at 4%. So they increased it prior to some of those changes. My point being is when I look at a historical trend, there was some drag there. So... Who knows? Maybe this will take a bit longer. Maybe they'll keep the guarantees at 4% for a period of time and then bring them down. Time will tell. Um, you know, the IRS rule is one thing, but then the, the insurance company limits. That's that's the main thing, in my opinion. That's more exciting to me than the MEC laws because if the, if the product limits don't change, like if a company says, hey, here's our premium, you can 10X that, you can 5X that, you can 20X it, whatever it is today. If they say that's still our comfort level, Nothing really changes other than the maximum amount of money you can pay in per face amount. So it helps if if I can't get more than a million dollars, now all of a sudden I can pay more money in with that same million dollars. What would you say to a consumer who says something that sounds like, it feels to be like the guaranteed side of the ledger only really comes into play if there's no dividend? Mm-hmm. And... If I'm looking at a company like Mass, who's declared a dividend every year going back to the 1860s, yeah, it feels to me like the guaranteed ledger has never really been. No, it it, it hasn't. It, if it hasn't, if you look at a, a Mass, a Guardian, a New York Life, a Northwestern, and I'm sure a lot of small carriers too. Um, what's so? It's just a comfortable. It is. It, it is. And some people really like that. I mean, when we model policies, if it's a, a short pay, so so often individuals have a lump sum of money, they're just sitting on cash and they say, hey, I can just shift it over here in four to five years and I've got my cash and a lot more based off the guarantees alone, worst, worst case scenario. Um, so, I mean, it'll be something to consider. But to your point, you know, there's an actuary we we work with and talk to quite a bit um, and he'll come out and say, you know, I don't really look at the guarantees. I do, but when you look at the top insurance companies, they have not operated in a guaranteed environment for the past 150 years. 
from from their dividends and also from their fees, charges. term rider costs, yeah, charges, all of that stuff. Like it hasn't happened. So he's like, I don't even look at it. Yeah, maybe you can bump the dividend down a bit, but it's like that that's not realistic. And when you look at historical performance, it's always much, much stronger than that. So there's definitely a, a, a big point to be made on what you just mentioned there with the guarantees. Yeah, and I, I had a, a broker on the phone the other day who, uh, you know, kind of doomsday scenario felt <laughs> like the reduction in um, if the carriers reduce their guaranteed rates, that kind of gave them an opportunity to really drive the dividend down but still stay above where the guaranteed rates were. But I don't know. These are mutual companies, you know, I yeah. mean, they're not, they're not trying to drive stock prices. They're not, yeah. it's not the same kind of mindset when it comes to um, profitability and uh, stockholders versus, versus mutual policy owners. I just don't see that. Uh, I, I don't see that being, being the agenda, if you will. Yeah, I agree. And really, when I look at the core benefits of a whole life insurance product, when cash accumulation is someone's goal, it's a safe, liquid, tax-free area to position money. You've got access to your capital. And typically, you can look at it as a bond alternative, and it always does much better than a bank account. So, for example, I mean, if you structure a policy properly, we show this all the time, based off the guarantees, after all insurance expenses, the net internal rate of return year over year, you'll see over 3%. And that's tax-free too, if you do it right. That's guaranteed. People look at that and say, I don't even get 0.3% in my bank account. Like what, right. why would I not do this? So that's one thing I, you know, that kind of crosses my mind there to say, okay, if they cut that down, will it still be better than a bank account? Probably. Just when you look at the trend, right, as interest rates have gone down, same thing with dividends, when interest rates have been very, very high, same thing with dividends. So it'll be interesting to see how it all tends to move together. But at the end of the day, I still expect it to be the same product, same benefits, you know, same advantages. If it's if the performance is a little bit less, then it will typically be relative to everything else other than the stock market, since who knows what's going on with that. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. Good insight today. Thanks, Steve. Have yeah. a great day. If anybody needs help, so brokers, if you're looking for someone to align yourself with to help grow your business and really supercharge your business, reach out to Steve Parisi, IBC Global. If you're looking for access to Mass Mutual from an independent broker perspective, reach out to me, Mike Courtney, Mass Mutual, Eastern PA. And we're here once a week talking about the market, talking about life insurance industry and what's going on in our space. Any questions, feel free to reach out. Steve, have a great day. Thanks as always. Likewise. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. All right. Bye.